HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music is gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm your host, Damon Bolte. Um, on the show today, um, I'm really excited about this show, actually. Um, we're we're talking uh, by coastal here, actually. We're going to be doing a phone interview. Um, but we're talking about something that's really exciting, a new product uh, to the spirits market that, you know, I can't remember the last time something like a new actual base spirit came out. Uh, I probably wasn't alive when it happened. But uh, <laughs> to talk about that today on the show, we have on the phone Clay Gordon of The Chocolate Life. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Damon, for having me on the show today. Yeah, you used to uh, actually be on Heritage Radio a while back, right? That's right. I had a show called Straight for the Source. Uh, I finished up about um, this time last year. I've been taking some time off, sort of re-energizing the batteries, um, thinking about uh, what I might do and how to refocus it to um, to make it uh, more interesting and more relevant and uh, to um, just increase the amount of fun everybody's having during the show. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think we actually pro- we have, I remember meeting you before, maybe one of the, yeah. the host events, or maybe we were just passing through. But uh, yeah, I, yeah, I was the show. I was I was the show that was on before you on Wednesday. Right on Wednesdays. Yeah, cool. That's well, okay. it's good yeah. to catch back up. <laughs> well, it's great. It's great. It's great. It's great to be back on the air and air this radio network. I, I definitely do miss it, and I'm looking forward. Uh, I ran into um, Aaron Fairbanks, who is out here in San Francisco oh, great. Uh, for the good. For the Good Food Awards and for the Fancy Food Show, and that's how we reconnected, and I think that's how she introduced um, me to you and why it is that I'm talking to you today. Absolutely, and I just saw her on the street. Yeah, <laughs> cool, man. Um, so you you've been pretty busy with uh, this new spirit category, um, and okay, so I, this is it's it's called Solbeso. Um, yes, Solbeso. Yes, Solbeso. And uh, mm-hmm. it's made from the pulp of the cacao fruit, right? Yeah. 
Yes, it is. Um, and you're right. It's the first new base spirit that we know of that's been introduced in something like 200 years. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's crazy you know, what you, you think know, about it's, that. It's, it's a new kind of fruit that's never been used for. No, we're not using sugar cane. We're not using grapes. We're not using pears. We're not using green. corn. Yeah. We're not using any, any form of grain. So what we're doing is we're taking the liquid that drains off the pulp um, during the primary fermentation of cocoa beans. So um, this is something that's been happening for thousands of years. Um, literally millions, tens of millions of liters of this juice are allowed to just flow out on the ground. Um, and we capture that um, early on before um, wild fermentation kick in, and we use it as the source for our own um, special fermentation and then distillation. So, like up until this point, what you're saying is it was it was a byproduct of basically harvesting cacao that was never used for anything else. Well, that's that's basically never used commercially, right? Okay. There, there, I mean, you know, there are moonshiners, you know, in the rainforest in places like Peru and Ecuador and Brazil, and they've got their stills and they're making it for themselves. But it probably more closely resembles something like an aguardiente, um, rather than um, you know a nice smooth um, uh, distilled spirit, um, the one that we've created in Solveso. And there's one small producer in West Africa who's known. Um, he actually um, is a cow grower, and he has this fabulous um, chocolate bar where he takes raisins and he soaks them in his um, cacao distillate and then uses those raisins in a chocolate bar. Oh, that's neat. Um, but he only makes a small amount, and he gives it to friends and family for holidays and things like that. He doesn't sell it commercially, no. Right, so this is the first commercially produced and yep. distributed Version of this uh, this alcohol, this spirit. This yep. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So, to me, that 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 I you know I, I like many people. I actually carry it at my bar. Um, I think it's a cool product. Um, it, it to me it, it drinks like uh, somewhere between like a pisco and like a, a grappa or eau de vie. You know, it's it, it's got a lot mm-hmm. of life to it. You know, and and it's it's versatile like when you use it in like cocktail formats it's cool on its own it goes goes through a lot of different stages when you're tasting on its own but it's really cool to use in different ways i've been using it in a lot of punches lately um Uh but uh but but you know it it, when when i tell people what the the base spirit is in this punch you know they're like what the hell is that you know and so you have to like kind of like hold their hand and walk them through the but like but you know i i you know, I, I give them my explanation, you know, of what it is. And, uh, they, you know, people, it, it is really hard for a lot of people to, uh, grasp, you know, a new spirit category. You know what I mean? No, no, actually it's something we struggle with every day. You know, I, you know, the, the, the idea for Sobeso came to a, a gentleman by the name of Tom Higby. Tom has been involved in spirits innovation for most of his, uh, most of his career and has been responsible for creating and helping launch um, a number of, of very well-known brands from a number of uh, well-known companies. He was on a trip in Peru about four, four and a half years ago, where he saw all this liquid draining on the ground, and he said, fruit fermenting, I should be able to distill that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and um, But the supply chain to make it all happen 
um, did not exist. It needed to be created from scratch. You actually have a very narrow window of opportunity for when you open the cacao pod mm-hmm. until the time that the liquid has started spontaneously fermenting and oxidizing. Right. And the level of sugar is below a point where it's usable and you start generating off flavors and things like that. So working with the growers in country to be able to develop specific methods of capturing the juice while it's still fresh um, was just the first in a large number of technical hurdles that needed to be overcome. It seems like it had to be an immediate process. Like as soon as the, the cacao beans are husked, you have to like take that product and get to work on it, right? Uh, pretty much uh, the same day. Yeah. Same, the same day, yeah. You want to have the liquid into the fermenter um, the same day that the, that the pods have been opened. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and when you have uh, lots of smallholder farmers who live a two- or three- or four-hour walk or drive from a collection center, and they have been used to doing their own fermentation of 20 and 30 and 40 kilogram batches of the beans that they harvested. Um, it, it's, it, it represents just this really challenging distributed supply. Um, and so we work with producer cooperatives um, where um, they have um, centralized collection capabilities. Yes. Um, it seems and, like a logistical, um, you know, kind of almost like a logistical nightmare, but it's, it's you know, I, I feel like you would almost have to start up the, uh, like, the, like a, a, a compilation service, you know, before you, like, uh, before you even get to work on the, the actual, like, making of the product, just acquiring all of the, the product from all these different farms, you know? No, this is very, very much the case. I mean, so as a matter of fact, what happens is... Um, if anybody has spent any time um, in country working with farmers, um, and the cow farmers are just one example, um, the techniques that we use to collect the juice are different from country to country um, and different from region to region. So we can't go into I mean, The more we say do it our way, the, more, the less likely it's going to happen when we're not there. So we actually have to look at the ways they're currently doing it and say pretty much um, to people, what we want you to do is we want you to focus on the fact that every little drop of that liquid can make you money before you just let it drip on the ground. Right. But we want you to start thinking about, okay, how do you capture this so when you get it to this collection center, you can make money. And the more you get and the faster you get it there, uh, the more valuable your crop is to you. Right. Um, so that, that's, just, that's just one part of it. And then methods to be able to maximize how much juice we can extract without actually affecting, and in some cases improving, the fermentation quality of the cocoa beans. What we do doesn't have any effect on the cocoa itself, and it can still be used to make chocolate. Mm-hmm. So this is, this, is a, this is a virtuous circle you know, in, in every respect. It seems like, well, I mean, there's, you know, yeah, like you said, it's not affecting the cocoa to make the chocolate, you know, at all, because it's just, it's basically a byproduct of the, the harvesting of that product, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's it's something that has been wasted for as long as anyone has been making chocolate, right? Um, for, 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 most, mostly wasted. 
right? Yeah. No, no, absolutely. So, absolutely. I mean, there are roughly 4 million metric tons of cocoa that are harvested every year, and just, you know, a rough rule of some says we might have 800 million liters a year of raw of juice that just goes onto the ground. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. And to think about the just the, the origin of uh, of distillation or, you know, making cheese or making charcuterie and just like it's basically preserving your the the crops, you know, and like, a, a, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, we make so much bread, but then it's like we have this grain left over. Well, let's, you know, figure out a way to keep it rather than letting it spoil. So it's it's kind of crazy to me that that was left to spoil for so long. And maybe it was just one of those things that, you know, it took a while to... Uh, to get out there, you know, because it well, is. There's a, there's a history of using the ferment, the, the spontaneous fermented alcohol in South America, like a four to five percent beer. Okay. But it was consumed, but it is the Europeans who introduced distilling technology mm-hmm. into the New World. Right. Um, and, and what I think they faced then is working with grapes is so much easier and so cheap and so much less expensive. Than working yeah. with a cow or pulling corn or pulling wheat or working with you know agave hearts is just so much easier and so much less expensive than working with cacao um, that it didn't make economic sense to them to invest the amount of time required to make it work and hmm. so they just ignored it. Interesting. Yeah. Um, um, you know, it's, it's been a fab. It's been a fabulous project in, in many respects. I mean, we do have that. Um, Social responsibility aspect, working with the farmers, right. um, the environmental responsibility aspect. So, in some places where they do centralized fermentation, um, the pH, the amount of liquid they collect, and the pH level of this stuff, it's so acidic. It's got a level of three point five that if you let all of that liquid just drain directly into the streams, um, it can have an effect on the acid level of the streams and affect the um, both um, fish life and the plants, which are surrounding the streams and, and in the waterways, and in some places you have to collect it and you know put it into a pond and aerate it and remediate it. So by collecting it and using it to generate alcohol, we actually have the effect of improving the local environment right. around it's these collection centers as well. Full circle too. I mean, then you know, mm-hmm. eventually your cacao plants are going to yield possibly better better fruit. With with that cycle, with uh, taking it taking those high higher acid levels out of the environment and letting the environment do its thing, you're kind of like like that it was intended to do. I, you know, it seems like you know it it always comes back around to with the way that we think about distillation and the products that we're making nowadays. There's a little bit more like social responsibility, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. it seems like there's a lot of that involved with this. And it also tastes great. <laughs> and it also tastes great. I mean, your point about, you know, it, you know, what does it taste like? You know, my experience is, that I found, is that if, if somebody, somebody has, you know, really likes Pisco, then mm-hmm. they'll say, ooh, this reminds them of Pisco. Or if somebody's a, rum, yeah. a white rum drinker, it will remind them of rum. Or it will remind them of somewhere between a tequila and agave or a grappa or something like that. Yeah. And- um, but it really is none of none of those things right I mean, but um, and that's hard like, to put your finger on yeah that's that's what we're you know like like we we're saying about 10 minutes ago it's you know it's 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 really fun for me like to introduce this to people at my bar because they're like they you know they, they like you just said they grasp onto another 
spirit, but it's kind of it's you know a thing of its own. And we could say that rye and bourbon, like they both taste like whiskey, but they're two different things, you know. Um, but but it's it's really cool to see that there's a new spirit on the market, you know, a, a new spirit category on the market. But you also have a very interesting distillation process, which I think we should take a quick break. And when we get back, let's talk about the. Uh, we've talked about the the harvesting and the the. Uh, fermentation, but let's talk about the distillation when we get back here in a second. Absolutely. All right, we'll be back in just a moment with Clay Gordon. The apothecary don't carry my pills no more. Well, I just said the guy that popped up in my brain. I killed every subway, stopped on the subway train. I took it to one place to go. No signs on every door. Why am I the don't carry my pills no more? I got a You are listening to The Apothecary by Brothers NYC on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast Regional Forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. And we are back. You're listening to The Speakeasy and on the phone across the country in San Francisco, correct? You're, All the way in San Francisco. You're in San Francisco. I watch it. I watch it. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm I'm completely and totally not envious of the weather you've been having. Oh, my goodness. Um, Yeah. You know, accidentally, um, I I booked my tickets on the wrong day, so I'm flying back tomorrow rather than today or yesterday. And the number of stories I'm walking around the fancy food show and the number of stories of people who just can't get back home. Oh, man. um, It's just huge. It's huge. So I'm here today. I won't tell you how lovely it is. I don't want to depress everybody in New York. Oh, man. My brother just moved out there about a month ago, and he's been uh, just, you know, taking screenshots on his iPhone of his, uh, you know, the Weather Channel app and and sending them to me. And I just say, you know, what a. I won't say say anything. Don't 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 do that. Yeah. Yeah. I actually got got really lucky uh, in December when the snow hit. I was in Mexico. And then just now, this last week, or actually right now, one of my barbacks is down in Mexico. And I'm like, dude, we, us bartenders, we know how to we know how to time it to get out of the city during the uh, the bad weather, you know. Yeah, it's, it's a weird bartender intuition. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> well, one of the great one of the great things I like about this project um, is I come to this from the world of chocolate, not the world of alcohol. Right. And so I have these interesting dual roles. So I've been uh, working with the startup team um, for a little bit over two years now. And I help them locate their suppliers uh, in Peru and in Ecuador. Um, and we're about to bring in new new uh, origin online for the next harvest season uh, in the Dominican Republic. But I also have this background in working with chocolate and pastry. And so I am acting as a culinary brand ambassador 
So I'm working with the chocolatiers and the pastry chefs and the savory chefs I know to get them to use Obeso as an ingredient in the kitchen, not just in the bar. You right. talked about its versatility um, earlier on, and this is one of the things that um, we're really interested in exploring. You know, if you talk to a mixologist and they'll say, oh, I have an idea for doing a drink with X, Y, and Z, and they'll go, man, that was invented 100 years ago. Or, you know, it's, somebody's doing that now. It's already been done. You know, trying to come up with a new, a truly new cocktail um, yeah, it's damn near using impossible. all of the existing base spirits is very difficult. And one of the great things is, you know, I'm sure that you've experienced uh, in your time uh, behind the bar working with Sobeso is we're just at the very beginning at understanding what the potential of this new spirit is. Uh, in terms of um, in terms of what it can be done and how it can be used, the kinds of flavors that it goes uh, and works with, and um, how it can how it you know how it can be used in drinks and and all the complementary um, things that go around the rituals that are associated with the bar with drinking. So we're just hugely excited. We're having you know, fabulous success uh, in New York City um, at, at a lot of different levels in restaurants um, with the bars and mixologists like yourself. Um, to um, become sort of early adopters and earlier promoters of the product, and we are just you know can't be more excited about you know what the next you know, the next year and next years are going to bring um, as we bring this to the market and get in the hands of more really talented, really creative people who want to work with us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like we're already using it in the kitchen. We're uh, doing actually we use it in a pate. We're experimenting with it in a pate. Um, uh-huh. uh, I, we have our whole pastry department, which you know, of course we're always. You know, I, I like I like going into the the pastry kitchen just like just to see what's happening in there and maybe get some inspiration, you know, and and you know, vice versa from the bar to to that kitchen. But I, it, you know, especially like you were saying, you know, it's it's an open future for this spirit category, especially mm-hmm. with cocktails, with food, and everything. It, you know, it's it, it's also it has a really great story. You know, and we we've only talked mm-hmm. about half of that so far. You know, we well not even well a little bit more than half, I guess. But um, about the there's, there's a thousand year history, yeah. and right, and we're coming to this and um and and making that connection to and with that history um is is a part of you, the challenge that's facing um the group the the team right now as we're working to introduce this going forward. I mean, one of the things that we have is. Um, it's a new category of spirits, so where do you put it on the shelf in a liquor store? Right. Because you can't put you, it doesn't fit in the rum category. That's a good, that's a, <laughs> I didn't think of that that's, yet. <laughs> that's one very, very simple question. When you say cacao to some people, they immediately think chocolate. And so they think this is either a chocolate-flavored vodka or a chocolate right. liqueur. And it doesn't. And there's no chocolate flavor anywhere near this. Right. Um, so there, it's, you know, it, it's. It's the first new category, you know, in 200 years, uh, and that's really cool because it's the first new category, and everybody is going, God, I want to be a part of this because it will never happen again in my lifetime. Right? Yeah. So I want to be a part <laughs> of it, right? And at the same time, you're going, ah, where do we put it on the shelf? It's just, you know, it's those little, the little mundane, mundane issues which are critically important to the success, right? Or something, um, which we're, um, which we're currently working through, and. Um, um, currently through to make sure that we um, get it in the right place so that people are looking for it and uh, who can, uh, people who are looking for it um, can find it. When they get it. Oh, man, yeah. I, I, but, I, but, 
I was, sorry, I was just thinking, uh, yeah, because it's, it's an actual spirit. It's not a liqueur, so it wouldn't be on the liqueur section. And you can't really put it, like, yeah, you can't put it in the rum. You can't put it in the, the brandy. I mean, <laughs> I guess, like, you could put it in the brandy section, technically, right? Um, we, we fall into the TTP category of what's called a distilled specialty spirit hmm. because they don't know what to call it. Right, right. Um, and so, um, I, you know, because we're working with a fruit, yeah, a brandy O to V, Right. Um, is probably the closest category, but it's actually a new fruit. So right. if you actually look very, very closely at the description of what brandies are, well, not quite, not quite. So this is something that um, we are really excited to be able to work, find the answer to. Um, we want to engage with the entire community, bartenders, chefs, um, chocolatiers, uh, members of the, um, the public who are buying the cocktails and buying the bottles. They, you know, help us, help us, help us figure this out. Yeah. Um, because when we do, it's going to be, it's going to be really, really cool. Well, if you need any help with, uh, you know, cocktail development for your your book or your website or anything, well, I, listen, I tell you what, I'm going to get back to you on Friday, and I'm, I'm going to give you, I'm going to contact you, and I, I want to be in in your bar and in your kitchen next week, and I'm do a little bit of a do a little bit of learning about what it is that you're doing, and then being able to provide a little bit of input. Uh, awesome stuff that I've learned from everybody else. Cool. Um, but, uh, you talked about you talked about we talked about in, in the first half. Uh, we talked about how it's really important to develop customized collection protocols mm-hmm. for each one of the countries that we work with. They all do it differently, or different areas of the country. I mean, you really do need to go in there with a certain amount of humility. You just can't say this is the way to do it. You need to respect the local customs and how they've been doing it for so long, right? Because. You know, these are third and fourth and fifth and sixth and tenth generation cacao farmers. Right. You know, they're not going to change their ways overnight. Um, but one of the things that we're learning um, is that different varieties of cacao produce very different flavored distillates. Sure. As you might expect. So not only do we have the difference between, for example, a Chardonnay grape and a Sauvignon grape, Right? So just mm-hmm. that, you also have the impact of terroir. Sure. So of the same varietal grown in different places will produce a different product. Um, so one of the some of the bits of learning that we're doing is um, not only which strains of yeast are we putting together to be able to control the fermentation. So one of the first things we do after we collect the juice is we um, gently pasteurize it to stop wild fermentation. And then we re-inoculate with a, a, a mix of yeasts, which is particular to what we're doing, to be able to control the flavors that we get um, from fermentation. But then by controlling some of the parameters for fermentation, um, we've learned to be able to take varieties that are considered to be bulk cocoa, not necessarily fine flavor cocoa, and to be able to produce higher, to be able to coax out more nuanced, more delicate, more interesting flavors from them than you would normally expect that you'd be able to. Um, and then for each area that we work with, it's custom distillation protocols. So it's not only what still, what style of still we're using, um, but um, what that still is made of. Um, if it has a column associated with it, um, are there plates in it where those plates are located? Um, you have the temperatures that things get run at. Um, all of these things. Um, are variables sure. um, that we've spent the last you know, couple of years um, looking at 
in order to be able to figure out, okay, for this variety in this location, we need to work this kind of style of fermentation with this approach to distilling. And then, then in Ecuador, it's very different from Peru. And we're expecting that it will be very different in the Dominican Republic as well because they have a very different, um, they're working with very different genetics in terms of the bean varieties as well as differences in the terroir. Yeah. And speaking of the distillation, don't you guys have a very unique still? We have different stills in every area that we're working on. But the, I, um, I believe the one in Peru, isn't there like a gourd involved with it or something like that? <laughs> well, um, our master distiller is in Peru, and um, I would it would be fair to say that we have a cross, which is sort of something between a traditional Pisco still and a traditional Cognac still. Mm-hmm with some little stuff that we've done to um, to make it work more for our purposes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we're working with, you know, very different, uh, yeah. And these are these are things we're learning. You can't, you can't produce Solbeso in the same manner that you produce the base for rum in a continuous column still, for example. It, right. You just boil away everything that's interesting about the liquid. Sure. Right. And so, yes, I mean, part of part of the um, learning that we've been doing, um, working with our master distiller um, in Peru, has been getting a much better understanding of what the key variables are and what the what the what the tweaks need to be made on them in order to be able to push the liquid um, in a particular direction. Um, so that we get the flavors that we want. I mean, one of the things we learned very early on is that we can't actually ferment the pulp. There's so much pectin in the pulp that you develop a huge methanol load. Oh yeah. Um, and you don't. You, you need to be. You, you need to be very, very careful with this particular um, fruit um, as input. Um, and actually, I think that's one of the reasons why um, people didn't use it before, is because they fermented the pulp and they got this methanol load and they got them sick. Um, and we've learned that's something that you can't do. You have to be, you have to filter uh, and have to get as much of that fiber out as you possibly can before you start the fermentation process. So what you're saying is don't try making this at home, basically. Um, <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things. It's a lot more complicated than making beer. Um, it, with beer, if you ferment it wrong, you basically get something that smells really bad, um, and you know right away that it's not going to work. With an alcohol, after you've distilled it, um, depending on how hard you distill it, and especially if you double or triple distill it, um, you'll get rid of aromas, and you you won't know that the methanol is there, um, and it will hurt you. Um, so you you have to be much more technically aware I, the level of expertise that's required to distill, one of the things I've learned is that the level of technical expertise that's required to distill safely is more than making wine or home, a wine at home or making beer at home. Um, if you're using fruit, if you're using a simple stock like I'm taking sugar, you know, distilling from sugar is, is you know, the, the chances of creating much methanol are very, very low. Right. Uh, so, yeah, this is... This is a much more complicated, much more complicated process. Well, speaking of uh, complicated processes, I wanted to know uh, what's your favorite way to drink it. And I'm being very facetious there, but how, how do you like to enjoy this spirit? Yeah, I. You know, one of the things which really intrigues me 
about Solbeso, and one of the um, experiences I try to share with people that I'm introducing it to for the first time is to try it neat and then pour just a tiny amount of water into it. Sure. Um, one of the things that's really different about Solbeso as a, as a white spirit is that it opens up when you add water or ice like a good single malt does. Yeah. Um, so it softens on the nose, it softens on the palate, it opens up and brings out um, aromas um, that aren't necessarily there before you add the water. Um, and so um, drinking it simple like that, just a little bit of water is probably one of my favorite ways to do it. And then um, lemon and lime, um, great citrus, um, enhance the um, fruity floral aromas that are in it. And you may have noticed this with your playing behind the bar. When you start playing with a pH, mm-hmm. um, it also changes. And so part, so whether you're doing that with fruit or whether you're add, doing it by adding um, a citrate or as, as, a, as, as an ingredient, um, it, it really does change the, um, the nature of the, um, of, the, of the spirit entirely. So it, it's used as the primary spirit. But we don't, we don't think of this as a replacement for vodka or tequila or anything like that. But, you know, it does make a dynamite margarita um, for a Michelada. Um, it does make a dynamite sunrise, but we would never, we're, we're never going to suggest to people yeah. um, that it is a replacement for any of those things. Um, we're looking for people to take it and, um, you know, push the envelope and have fun creatively with it. So basically, um, even though it is, it does work as a, as a, Fabulous replacement for um, um, most um, white spirits in um, traditional cocktails. Yeah, we've we've been doing like caipirinhas. We've been doing, um, mm-hmm. you know, well, like taking, you know, you always do like the daiquiri test with any like white spirit, you know, like the gimlet test. Anytime uh, mm-hmm. like a white new white rum comes around, you always do the, you know, everyone does the daiquiri test. But uh, mm-hmm. but with this one, since it's got like kind of a, you know, I, I I liken it more to like an unaged brandy, you know. So I did a mm-hmm. I did an Alexander with it, and I gotta tell you, especially with the cacao, you know, uh-huh. uh, Salbeso Alexander. I don't know how many people out there like, you know, drinks with cream in them, but, I, you know, let me refit. Everyone likes that drink, <laughs> but it was, oh, it was yeah, awesome. I mean, one, of the, one, of the, one of the ways that I enjoyed it while I was here at the Fancy Food Show is there's a small, um, small company um, located in Texas, but their sales office is in New York, and they import their product up from Mexico, and they're doing not only a mole, but a wonderful, real, you know, true Mexican-style um, hot chocolate. So chocolate, which is designed to be grated and melted, and throwing salvezo into a hot chocolate. Oh yeah, I mean, killer, killer. Especially if you have a chocolate which is unalkalized, and so it still has the fruitiness, the fruit acid. From yeah. The um, it just it's it's really quite remarkable. So a hot chocolate, um, or a an iced hot chocolate, right? Made with um, uh, made with salvezo over the top of it is is, is a great way to go. Um, you know, we have a, a chef um, in um, in a restaurant uh, down on Avenue C that's working with this, and he makes a granita from the oh, nice. and puts it on top of oysters. I mean, I, I, I love it sprinkled on top of ceviche. Oh. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just, okay. just, uh, yeah, you just does wonders um, for, for that. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's somebody who's, you know, comes from more from the culinary world and is learning about the world of specialty spirits and um, cocktails 
just a creative. I mean, I've started working with purple corn. So instead of making a chicha morada, you know, I just make an extraction of the blue corn water and then make a pineapple simple syrup, which is spiced with all the spices you'd find in the chicha morada. Nice. And then being able to combine them so I can control the level of sweetness and then putting solteso in there. All right, enough, um, enough talk about this, Clay. Uh, when, you, when you get back, we got to get a drink and some food because uh, I'm, I'm I'm dying right now. <laughs> but, okay, but where can we, where can the listeners learn more about Solbeso? Well, I mean, there's a website, Solbeso.com, um, where they can learn a little bit more. We're still in semi-stealth mode. Um, we're you know focused on New York City and New York State as a market right now. Um, working with a group of early adopters uh, that we've identified both in restaurants. Um, and um, in bars to help us really understand um, you know, yeah. what people want to know and how to yeah. present it. Yeah, the application. Um, but it, yeah. Right. So, but um, they could go to um, sobeso.com, I uh, think, backslash order, and they can have it ordered for delivery uh, on the island of Manhattan or anywhere in um, New York State or the 25 states where it's legal to ship alcohol from. Um, New York, um, and there are a couple of locations in New York City where it's also available uh, for retail sale. Awesome, Clay. It's been so yeah. nice talking to you, man. Um, hey. Hit me up, you know. Hit me up when you're in uh, New York City again. I will. I will do that, Damon. Thanks. Uh, thanks for inviting me on today. All right, man. Hey, my pleasure. <laughs> All right. Well, check out Silbeso, and also check out the speaking speakeasy next week uh i've got a good old friend of mine coming into the studio and we're going to it's probably gonna get pretty ridiculous in here so uh be sure to check that out that's it this week cheers thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org you can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the itunes store by searching heritage radio network you can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>